Hey everybody, Pastor Joe here. Uh, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Uh, before we jump into the sermon, I do want to continue to let you know that we have some exciting things coming up, uh, especially around discipleship. A lot of great opportunities to join in in growing our faith in community with one another. Uh, information and details are on our website at BothellUMC.org. In the meantime, we wrapped up this quick two-week series called Creating the World Anew, preaching from Isaiah chapter 40. Check out the sermon here. It's so great to be with you. My name is Angela, and I serve as one of the three pastoral interns here at Bothell United Methodist Church. Whether you're joining us here in person or online, we're so glad you're here. As we worship on the unceded lands of the Stiligwamish, the Duwamish, and the Coast Salish peoples. I have a few announcements for you this morning, several. Um, First, we are starting um, many discipleship classes. So some of them will be starting next week. And we invite you to check out the website to learn more. Hopefully join one or two or three. Um, Also, we are continuing to collect donations um, to support the migrants and refugees um, who are being helped by our friends at Riverton Park UMC. So thank you to those of you who have already brought donations. And if you still are wanting to do so, uh, cold weather gear, uh, please bring them to the church by tomorrow so Pastor Kristen uh, can bring them to Riverton Park this week. Um, On Tuesday, February 13th, we have our monthly pint night. Um, So we'll gather at uh, 192 Brewing in Kenmore. We'll share appetizers as you enjoy your favorite drink, and we invite you um, to come for connection and community. One final announcement, um, Lent has snuck up on us and begins next week. Um, So we'll gather on Wednesday, February 14th at 7 p.m. for our Ash Wednesday service, and we hope to see you here or also online. So I'm headed to Denver this week uh, for a week of in-person classes at my seminary, uh, something that we do every quarter in this hybrid program at ILIF School of Theology, um, where people, students from all across the country and some countries uh, like Guatemala around the world uh, come together in Denver um, for intensive classes and uh, community building. So I've been spending a lot of time this week Um, finishing a quilt for one of my seminary friends. So I don't have to ship it to them, I'll just pack it in the luggage. Probably too much time. But I started to quilt with my grandma when I was 12 years old um, as a way to connect with um, the embodied ancestral wisdom of my loved ones who are no longer with us. What I love about quilting is that I'm able to take bits and pieces of all different kinds, fabric of different shapes and sizes, textures and colors, fabric with different histories, some maybe that is from the store or old clothing or from a 50-year-old fabric stash of my great-grandmother. And I can patchwork them all together to make a beautiful gift of love. Isn't that what we're trying to do here, too? We know that sometimes there are places in our world, especially places of worship, 
where some people have been pushed out because of their identity. And so we name today that for exactly who God called you to be, you are welcome and you belong. If your experience with church has been to be excluded, we're sorry. We hope that you know that you are welcome and you belong here. What this means for us is this. If you're gay or lesbian, transgender, bisexual, or questioning, you are welcome and you belong. If you're black, brown, indigenous, if you've been discriminated against because of the color of your skin, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. If you find yourself homeless or houseless or in the lower economic brackets of our community, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. If you are single, divorced, partnered, separated, or widowed, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. With all of your bodily complexities created as an integral part of God's good design, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants. They're like grasshoppers who, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads over them like a tent to live in. Who brings princes to naught and makes rulers of the earth as nothing? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom, then, will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths are faint and, the, and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Holy words for God's people. Uh, my name is Joe. I get to serve as lead pastor here. I'm excited to be worshiping with all of you here on site and those of you who are online uh, joining us. It is a joy to be together. I want to just take a moment to uh, name that as we live into this Black History Month, 
uh, we do hope that you are taking time in your days and in your weeks to prioritize ways that we can continue to learn about black culture, to learn about the history, to learn about ways that we could be pursuers of justice for our siblings. Um, if you follow us online, we're also uh, taking some um, steps. Uh, one of our agencies has put together a uh, 29 ways to celebrate Black History Month, and we're trying to go through that as well as a staff. And so we want to encourage you to find ways that are meaningful for you and to make an intentional decision to celebrate Black History Month in our communities. Amen? All right, let's pray together. God, be present here and in all the places from which we are worshiping. Move in us and through us that we too would be moved and changed. Speak to us, we pray. Less of me, more of you. None of me, all of you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> there's a great scene in one of my favorite movies. It's a 2007 classic, uh, Ratatouille. Anybody? Oh, we got some class. We got some fans. Good. Uh, Remy is a rat who can cook. Uh, he works with his human named Linguini uh, to create dishes in their world-famous restaurant. Uh, Remy controls Linguini's movements by hiding in his uh, chef hat and pulling on his hair to mimic uh, his own movements. Uh, this goes against everything that Remy's dad believes in. Uh, Remy's dad is convinced that humans are bad and out to destroy rats. And so on their walk one night, uh, his dad shows Remy an exterminator's uh, shop and says to him, take a good long look, Remy. This is what happens when a rat gets a little too comfortable around humans. The world we live in belongs to the enemy. We must live carefully. We look out for our own kind, Remy. When all is said and done, we're all we've got. And as he turns to walk away, Remy simply says, no. What? Remy continues. He says, no, Dad, I don't believe it. You're telling me that the future is and can only be more of this? And his dad says, this is the way things are. You can't change nature. And Remy says, change is nature, Dad. It's the part that we can influence, and it starts when we decide. And as he turns to leave, his dad then calls out after him, where are you going? And Remy says, anybody? With luck, forward. Forward. With luck, forward. I've watched this scene a couple too many times as preparing for this sermon. It's one of my favorite movies. But I've been thinking about this. What does it mean to move forward? Forward from what? And forward to what? We're in Isaiah 40 this morning, uh, thanks to Marcia who read for us. The, it's the latter parts of this beautiful chapter, uh, chapter 40. I encourage you to take some time to read it when you have. It starts with this beautiful phrase, Comfort, O comfort my people, says the Lord. And we're in the section of Isaiah called Second Isaiah. And Isaiah, I mean, even though in our Bible it's one uh, continuous book, it's widely agreed that Isaiah is actually uh, composed of uh, multiple authors and different periods of time. First Isaiah, this is uh, chapters 1 uh, to 39, uh, takes place, is written sometime in the 8th century BCE. It's in Jerusalem, the capital city. 
And the Israelites are still autonomous. They still have their own northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And the theme of these chapters is mostly around judgment, right? There's these oracles and these uh, remarks and visions about what will happen to these uh, foreign nations. And 2nd Isaiah, which we're in, Isaiah uh, chapters 40 to 55, it was written in the mid-6th century BCE, and the Israelites are physically in the land of Babylon. They're in exile, and we think they're towards the end of exile, but these people don't know it yet. And then just for reference, uh, 3rd Isaiah, chapters 56 to the end, is written later in the 6th century BCE. It's when the people are now back in Judah, and they're learning to cope with their new reality, okay? So 2nd Isaiah, this is where we are this morning. And the Israelites are in Babylon. They're in exile from everything they knew. And more importantly, they're exiled from everything that God had promised them. If we think back to Exodus, when they were enslaved, God delivers them from Egypt, and God brings them to this promised land full of milk and honey, and they settle. They make lives for themselves and for their communities. They, they build a temple for God. It's, it's a place where God would reside in their midst. And it's as if everything is how it was supposed to be until it wasn't. And then over a series of events, right, involves other kingdoms and other armies. Uh, the southern kingdom finally falls and the people, they lose everything. Right? They watch their city and their uh, temple destroyed, and they're forcibly marched out of their land and into the unknown, and they need hope. And Second Isaiah gives them that hope. The people, they're encouraged to look forward to the return to Jerusalem and, and to the temple being rebuilt. Uh, they're reminded of God's faithfulness and God's promise of deliverance. They, they remember that in every season and in every situation, God is with them. But here's what I'm wondering this morning. Do you think that they wanted to go back? I mean, would you have? Think about this with me. One day, you're tending to your farm. Your family is around you, healthy, life is good, clear blue skies, sun shining down, the city of Jerusalem is bustling with energy, bustling with life. You're safe within the walls of the kingdom. You're protected by the king. You're watched over by God. Plenty of food and drink available to you and for you when it's time to come to dinner, to say your prayers, to, to rest after a long day. But the next day, there's destruction all around you. Your farm, your, your home, they are now burnt the skies are gray, the walls protecting the city are crumbled, the walls around the temple are in ruins, and for something like 70 years, no one tends the land. It's now overgrown with weeds. The soil is hardened from the lack of care. No walls have been rebuilt. The city has been left to rot and decay. The temple has been empty of God's presence. 
And while most passages in Scripture paint a very joy-filled picture of the people's return from exile, I struggle to think that that was the case. Because if I had to guess, I don't think they would have wanted to go back. And here's why. At the end of the day, while in exile, not much had changed for the people. Right? Sure, they're under foreign rule. Sure, they uh, were no longer living in the land that God had promised. But life wasn't so bad in Babylon. There's documentation that these exiled kings and leaders and officials, they received monthly rations of food, of grain, of oil. And some of the people who were exiled, they were elevated to be able to have a vote and to serve as witnesses in land contracts. They engaged in business activities. Some got jobs serving on the royal court. Others were royal merchants. The people had families. They, they, they had livelihoods. There, there was fertile land filled with plenty. They built up a life in Babylon, one that was thriving. We know this because even in the book of Nehemiah, which we go back earlier in the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, Nehemiah is a book that is talking about how they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and how they dedicated the city and the people back to God. It's in Nehemiah that reports that the people weren't necessarily rushing back to come and settle in the land after exile. See, while, while the leaders were back in Jerusalem, the rest of the people, they had to cast lots to decide who had to live there. One in ten had to go back and settle in the city. And later in the chapter, because so many people didn't want to go, they declare that the people blessed those who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Like, you're doing such a favor for us so that I don't have to go. I think our text recognizes this. Isaiah recognizes this, right? It feels to me that Isaiah is writing to a people who not only have lost hope, but who have gotten really comfortable in their current situation. It's almost as if they've forgotten that God is their God, that God is still at work in the world. It's almost as if they've forgotten that God is creating the world a new but have you not heard have you not known and that's a chilling question have you not known have you not heard that the lord is the everlasting god the creator of the heavens and earth have you forgotten this and I'm in verse 28 to the end. It's telling us, have hope that God will return our people back to Jerusalem, back to the promised land. And when God does, when God does, it should be understood as an act of creation. It's the same power used to make the heavens and the earth will be at work on behalf of the people to form them now into a new creation. And that our God, that our creator, does not faint, does not grow 
weary. And this tells us that there's more to come. God's not done. For all that will happen, God has the strength to do so. God is not finished yet. See, the people had the framework wrong. They kept thinking that they were going back to something. That they were going back to the place where they came from. Back to what they once knew. Back to what was once familiar. Back to a life that was. But they couldn't. The city's gone. The temple is gone. That life is gone. But God is still at work. God is making a way where there is no way. And though the people are tired and weary, God will provide the power and strength for the long road ahead. God is inviting the people into co-creating a future that even they cannot imagine. You know, I was at lunch uh, the other day uh, with another pastor. Uh, we get together once a month or so um, just to check in. We encourage each other. We, uh, we celebrated the, the, the finish to our years. We, we talked about the joy of Christmas. We talked about ministry now and, and looking ahead. And at one point in lunch, uh, he asked me about some of the goals that I had uh, for Bothell in the coming years. And I went on autopilot because I immediately went into my usual spiel. I started talking about, I have this number that I'm looking for on site in worship. And, and we're going to do multiple sites. And we're going to go on all these pilgrimages. And we're going to have these metrics for small groups and community groups. And we're going to build these relationships in the community. And we're going to do all these things. And he stopped me. And he said, still? I was a little bit taken aback, right? And so he continued and he said, weren't these the same goals that you had five years ago? So much has changed. And he's right. So much has changed. The makeup of our community, it's changed. Many of you have joined us within the past few years. Many of you join us online now. I have changed. I've just come back from a, a three-month renewal uh, leave. I've cared for my spiritual and mental and emotional health. The nature of the church and the world has changed as we've all navigated, among other things, the Black Lives Matter movement and, oh yeah, the global pandemic. Perhaps creating the world anew requires letting go of all that we had once hoped for, all that we had once known, and to now live into the realities of today. Maybe creating the world anew requires us to trust that our God who created is still creating in us and through us, and that same God will strengthen us as we co-create into the unknown. Church, what do we need to let go of so that God can be creating a new thing in us individually, or collectively, I hate to be the one to tell you, as hard as it may be, there is no going back. No life that was, no good old days, 
no pre-COVID. Our task is to join alongside what God is already doing because God is constantly creating. God is constantly restoring. God is making all things new. And we get the privilege and the joy to be part of that co-creating together. I'm excited. I am filled with hope because God is still at work. Have you not heard? Have you not known that our God is still at work? Amen? Church, we have a chance, a tangible chance to experience that newness. We're going to come to the table in just a moment. This table... (laughs) If you're Methodist, you know we do this every month, the first Sunday of the month, like clockwork, and it feels the same sometimes. We say the same words, say, take the same bread, have the same juice. But this moment, this moment has never happened before. The folks who are here, who gather together online and on site, has never gathered like this before. What we carry with, our, with ourselves and our hearts, all that we've experienced over the past month, those moments of grief, those moments of sorrow, those moments of hardship, those moments of joy, those moments of celebration, all that have shaped us day by day, moment by moment, to this moment right now, has never happened before. And so it's a new thing. We get to participate in a new thing. So I want to invite you, as we come forward in just a few minutes, what are the things that we have to let go to remember that that's not coming back? And how might we take on God's characteristic and character of creating so that we can be part of all that God is doing. I'm going to invite us to take a moment to reflect because all that we've experienced, the the times of those grief and sorrow, it's worth naming. It's worth repenting for. It's worth experiencing together. And then with the joy filled because we're about to experience the abundance of God's grace and love, we can come to the table together in community, declaring that, God, we do know. God, we have heard. God, you are doing a new thing, and we're excited to be part of that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
All right, so that was our sermon on Isaiah 40, wrapping up this quick series, Creating the World Anew. Next week, we jump to the transfiguration of Jesus when he uh, goes up the mountain and communes with Elijah and Moses as his clothes uh, dazzle in brightness. Uh, Check out that sermon next week. And in the meantime, we hope that all goes well for you this week. We're holding you in our prayers, and we look forward to connecting soon.